Good afternoon and welcome to the City View podcast. I'm Andy Sylvester, back in the chair today. In a minute, we'll have a chat with Jack Barnett about a couple of central bank moves which could shape the economics of more than just the UK for a little while yet. But for now, we'll just look at the corporate headlines and the biggest news is coming out of Britain's ports. This morning, a host of P&O ferry departures were cancelled ahead of what owner DP World called a company announcement. And we now know what that is. The firm is to lay off 800 members of staff, with many of them set to be replaced by cheaper agency staff. As ever in the modern world, the news was delivered by video conference. This is how staff found out they were losing their jobs, courtesy of BBC Southeast. The company has made the decision that its vessels going forward will be primarily crewed by a third-party crew provider. Therefore, I am sorry to inform you that this means your employment is terminated with immediate effect on the grounds of redundancy. Your final day of employment is today. Unsurprisingly, that has not gone down well with unions. The RMT have called for a sit-in or a ship-in, and there are reports that the Pride of Hull captain will not let police on board if the authorities try and remove them. Our colleagues at the Telegraph have also just found out that P&O hired security staff in the advance of the announcement in case of a backlash. There's also some more noise around this afternoon about the potential scale of any black hole in the company's pension scheme. Amidst all of that, a company spokesperson said, our survival is dependent on making swift and significant changes now, and without these changes, there is no future for P&O ferries. Grant Shapps, the Transport Secretary, is understood to be pursuing talks. Meanwhile, Deliveroo has reported widening losses as a food delivery firm warned of the impact of hiking costs. The firm said its core adjusted loss had widened compared to a loss of $111 million in 2020 to $131 million this year. Uh, revenue, however, soared 57% with food delivery apps obviously benefiting from the closure of restaurants at the start of 2021. The London-listed firm said it hoped to hit break-even in core earnings by 2023 or 2024. Analysts want to see a clear pathway to profitability, given today's tougher funding environment. Similarly, Ocado is feeling the pinch from the world returning to a version of normality. Ocado customers are spending less through the online grocery delivery services. Pandemic habits return to normal. In an eight-week trading update, Ocado said its average basket size came in at £124, 15% lower than last year, reflective of course changing shopping behaviour. And across in Hong Kong, Carrie Lam has admitted today that the city's controversial zero COVID restrictions are blocking out businesses. She's been forced to reconsider the financial hub's tough COVID-19 restrictions while case numbers remain high. The time has come, she said, to review the measures, which prompted the US last week to warn against travelling to the city for fear of child separations. Lam said it's not because the number of cases coming down that it's time to rethink, but that she has a very strong feeling that people's tolerance is fading. Lam added, some of our financial institutions are losing patience about this sort of isolated status of Hong Kong. That they are, Carrie. Um, a lot of people losing a lot of patience with Hong Kong, not least Carrie Lam's administration. But anyway, we'll part of that for now. It's economics taking up most people's attention today. Um, and the news cycle sort of began last night. Jack Barnett, our economics correspondent, joins me now. Jack, um, Give us the, the whistle-stop tour, but let's start in Wall Street at 6pm last night. Yeah, so obviously we've had two pretty um, important decisions over the last couple of days from two big central banks um, in the world. So the Fed um, last night hiked uh, rates 25 basis points, first rate hike they've done since uh, 2018, first one they've done obviously since the pandemic as well when they um, sent rates to record lows to provide a floor um, for the economy. Now, the interesting thing about this is so the, the dot plot, which um, essentially measures where Fed officials expect rates to land um, over the course of the year, um, that has got six further rate hikes um, in 2022. And that will mean rates will settle around about 2% by the end of the year. So 
you know, all these signals um, in the lead up to this meeting was that Fed was going to really start motoring um, in in rating and policy this year, and that's exactly what they announced last night as well. Yeah, and you know, I guess in some ways we've been waiting for this for for some time, but there had to be a tightening of essentially the US's stimulus package right first. You had to do something sort of step by step um, when it came to the money supply before doing interest rates. Um, Andrew Bailey's Monetary Policy Committee today, more dovish, I think, than people were expecting, perhaps. Yeah, so if you go through the weeds of the um, of the minutes from the meetings, um, for the meeting which was released um, today, there was a slight change of wording in terms of their forward guidance. Um, they have now said that uh, further tightening of monetary policy in the coming months might be necessary. Now, before it was pretty much nailed on that um, further tightening was going to happen. So it kind of casts a bit of doubt over maybe not, not so much rate hikes happening in the future, but the sort of velocity of rate hikes in the future, i.e. how many there might be or how steep they might be. Nonetheless, the bank did um, raise rates again for the third time um, in as many meetings. First time it's done that since 1997, which incidentally was the same year that it got its, uh, its independence as well. So we've got borrowing costs in the UK now at 0.75%, um, which, you know, as we've sort of written about a lot a lot before and what central banks have been saying, particularly the Bank of England, because, you know, credit where credit's due, they were the first mover on this. Um, Policy now seems to be switching quite sharply to um, taming inflation, which is you know touching um, historic highs in the UK mm. and across the pond. So I think you can probably expect more hikes from both the Fed and the Bank of England in the coming months. Yeah, and there was a warning in there about the impact of energy prices as well. If it continues to go up, then we will, of course, see inflation possibly hit double digits. We have started to hear those predictions. Let's just um, take a quick look at the Bank of England more carefully. Mm. Basically, two years since Andrew Bailey took the job. Um, you know, he took the job effectively on Zoom amidst a global pandemic. So, a pretty tough, pretty sticky wicket to come into. Mm. When you look at his his two years in charge, I think it's fair to say that you know it's quite clear that he's a regulator. He was a regulator. He he sometimes doesn't communicate with the sort of star power and panache of Mark Carney. Mm. One big error in November potentially. Well. Depends how you look at it, but one big error in November in, in not hiking rates when most of the city thought that the Monetary Policy Committee would. But this year, he seems, don't know what you think, you study this a bit close, more closely than I, but in terms of the language publicly, he seems to be just saying, wait and see, wait and see for the Monetary Policy Committee. The city's making its bets and its judgments, but it's based on the numbers rather than on sort of full guidance from the bank, it seems. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's obviously, um, particularly over the last month or so in the round of this meeting, he's kind of shied away from um, making any sort of public comments in the press. Um, he's probably probably burnt um, from doing that in November and obviously sending the city potty about not delivering mm. on um, what he was actually uh, indicating. But um, his main theme um, of the communications that... Um, at meetings recently, particularly at the meetings when the bank um, does press conferences, is that he is explicitly saying to markets, "Do not get run, do not get carried away with the amount of rate hikes this year." I think in the round to this meeting, um, markets were penciling in rates to land at about two point two five percent at the end of the year, which would mean um, the bank would have to hike something around about um, two percentage mm. points in. In the course of the whole year, which they haven't, I think they haven't done that since the 1980s. So I think the, what he's he's been at pains to stress and really sort of shape the communication strategy coming out of the bank is that you need to temper your expectations for the amount of rate hikes this year. Now that obviously comes on the bank 
of the Bank of England actually hiking rates at the same time. So it's difficult for it's difficult for markets to listen to what he's saying and take it with a sense of credibility because you know he's saying don't expect further rate hikes whilst on the same day the Bank of England has hiked rates. Mm. So yeah, I think he's he's trying to get towards a communications strategy where it's consistent messaging at each meeting to shape market expectations and maybe rein in some of those bets that rates were mm, going to be touching shooting off yeah. yeah exactly no it's interesting just looking at the um numbers and you can see the impact of the russia ukraine conflict as well although the numbers that the npc were dealing with in terms of jobs etc did not feature russia and ukraine's kind of impact in in those numbers it's clearly on people's mind because john cunliffe who's been amongst the more hawkish rate risers um called for a halt this time mm. he was the one wasn't he that said said we should hold as we obviously don't know don't know his thinking but one presumes it was Let's just wait and see how long this lasts. Is it the moment? What's happening to growth, et cetera, et cetera. So it is interesting to see these myriad different factors in play. I guess the only thing to do now is to look forward to to the spring statements. Central banks have had their say, and it will now be Rishi Sunak and, and Westminster having its say next week. Hmm. There, you would assume, will be some kind of move around fuel duty cut or a tax gift because growth is otherwise going to be pretty painful the first half of this year you would imagine yeah and in the minutes today from the, from the meeting there was actually a, the, the bank actually pointed to this by saying that um, they're forecasting a worse shock to living standards this year as a result of the war um, but monetary policy can't really do anything to offset that, and particularly in helping to stimulate or protect growth. Fiscal pol- that is where fiscal policy comes in, and obviously some of the measures that you mentioned there um, would go a long way to protecting people's incomes and allowing them to you know, maintain spending levels. So I think on Wednesday, when the Chancellor does get up in the Commons, um, you, know, you should probably expect something, not sure what, but something <laughs> to protect people's incomes. A Rishi rabbit um, for spring. And that's all from me uh, and Jack for today. I'll be uh, enjoying a well-earned day off tomorrow. Um, but you'll be joined by Nassim De Silva, Charlie Conchie and Lily Russell-Jones for our weekly tech and crypto podcast. Um, from me, have a wonderful weekend. We'll see you again next week. <laughs> <laughs>